0: Which please turn with me to your study outlines as we continue our series entitled Generous. And the title of today's study is God's Strategy for Your Financial Health. And what a blessing it is. To follow Jesus. Jesus was a giver. So those that follow him are givers. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so those that live a generous life receive all kinds of blessings in many different areas, not just financial, but all kinds of uh, different areas. Came across this in an article uh, a while back. There's a secular article about a secular research study, uh, paying a compliment, telling a funny joke, sending a thank you note, listening to someone attentively, donating to a hunger center, teaching a child to read, extending forgiveness to someone who has wronged you, what might all these have to do with your own well-being? Answer, they are just a few of the myriad ways of, quote, giving to others, whether to family, friends, the community, and giving is the most potent force on the planet. The one kind of love you can count on because you can always choose it. Say Stephen Post, PhD, and Jill Neymart in their book, Why Good Things Happen to Good People. Most of us can recall with radiant clarity those moments when giving was receiving, when another's happiness was our own. Now, here's the remarkable part. More than 50 studies at 44 major universities and funded by Case Western University Medical School have shown that generous behavior will reduce your risk of illness and mortality and that benevolent acts have a deep and lasting impact on your mental health with these protections still intact decades later. You want more? Giving is also linked to traits of a successful life. That is social competence, empathy, tolerance, respect, and positive emotion. By learning to give, you become more effective at living itself. So say the authors. Give daily in small ways, and you will be happier, healthier, and even live longer. And Jesus taught this 2,000 years ago. He said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Last week, we looked at the fact, number one, that God has the goods to bless you. He's got the omnipotence to bless you. He's got the desire to bless you. And he has a strategy to bless you. And we saw last week that God's strategy for your financial health, it's different than ours. It says in Isaiah 55, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then Matthew 6, verses 22 and 23. Now, sometimes we see this as a difficult-to-understand verse, but it isn't if you look at it in context. If you if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn there or later on, maybe you want to take some time to look at it, um, it, it, you see that it's smack dab in the middle of a passage on generosity. It's got famous neighbors. Hardly anybody knows these two verses, but it's got very famous neighbors. Right before it is uh, what biblical scholars call a pericope, kind of a paragraph that talks about lay up your treasure in heaven rather than on earth. And then right after it is this paragraph about Jesus said he can't serve two masters, uh, God and money. You'll either hate one or love the others. You can't have two number one priorities at the same time. Well, right in the middle of it comes verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. And in context, what he means by eye is our perspective on stuff. Our perspective, the way we look, what we call a paradigm our paradigm towards finances, towards money, towards possessions. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, that is if your perspective on possessions and finances is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Everything else will fall into place. Why did Jesus talk about possessions and money more than any other subject? Because he knows if we can get that right, everything else in our lives is going to fall into place. But if your eyes, your perspective on finances and possessions are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, there's uh, the natural paradigm, the way we look at this, and then the biblical way that we look at it. The natural way is, is that all my stuff, all my money, it's mine. And once every, I don't know, two years or so, the pastor of the church will get up here and will make you feel so guilty that he will squeeze out of you a little bit of what's yours to give to God. And if he does a lousy job, he'll get 1% or 2% out of you. And if he does a mediocre job, he'll squeeze 5 or 6% of, uh, out of you. And if he does a really good job, he'll get 10% or more. I mean, so it's all about the pastor making you feel guilty to give out of clenched fingers, uh, you know, clenched fists, uh, something of your stuff to God. But that's not the biblical paradigm. The biblical perspective, the eye of the light that is healthy, the lamp of the body, as Jesus says, that it's healthy, is that it's all God's stuff. It's not a 1% or a 5% or a 10% issue. It's a 100% issue. It's all God's. And that we are mere, the old-fashioned word is steward or managers. We are custodians of the stuff that God has loaned to us. And he gives us wisdom. He guides us as to how to use a hundred percent of his stuff because we were naked when we came into the world. We're naked when we will leave. And uh, we just borrow God's stuff in the meantime. Now, the second thing is it's underwritten by God. Haggai 2 verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Uh, The old Arab proverb says there are no pockets in funeral shrouds. Or the way we put it today is there are no U-Hauls behind hearses. Uh, We come naked, we leave naked. Now, uh, what do you call it when somebody who's managing money uses it as if it's their own? We call that embezzlement. If I were a financial advisor and you gave me some of my, your money to invest for you and I started spending it like it was my own, that would be called fraud or embezzlement. And the same thing is true with God when we use his stuff as if it's our own. Now, it postpones your treasure, God's strategy does. Number one, you've got to resist the temptation because the natural tendency is to hoard up stuff Here. Uh, Matthew six nineteen, Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's the natural thing to do, to gather toys and stuff here. That's what's natural, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And so number two, accept the facts. And the fact is, we're going to live a lot longer beyond the grave than we live during this brief moment called life. Um, uh, remember we had a series a number of years back called Living for the Line and Not for the Dot. And we stretched out a rope all the way across the worship center here. And we had one tiny little dot on it. And we said, that dot represents your life, your time here on earth. And the line represents all of eternity. And it was so great. I talked about this at the last service. And Bev Kanji, uh, who was at the 830 service, I'd completely forgotten this. But when we did this series, we gave everybody a string with a knot in it. And we said, living for the line and not for the dot. And she still had this in her Bible. So she loaned it to me for the next two services. I'll mail it back to her tomorrow. And uh, so at any rate, we live for the line and not for the dot. 99.9 to infinity percent of our lives will be lived beyond the grave. And only .0 .0 infinity one uh, of our lives, that percentage is what's going to be lived on this side. It would be like if this line were a mile long. And so uh, one inch is the dot. And 5,279 feet and 11 inches, that's the line. And so he says, live for the line and not for the dot. uh, Jesus says, where you accumulate stuff is where you're going to be most comfortable. So if we pile up stuff here, it's going to be really hard to leave it. We're going to be totally bummed out to leave our stuff here. And so he says, put your money and your possessions and all that stuff, put it where you're going to spend most of your time. Now, in the treasure principle, and last week I urged everybody, I want everybody in our church to read this little book. It's a quick read, takes about an hour, you just fly right through it. And, uh, and and as I'll mention, at the end of the service, again, it's available, you know, five bucks a piece, but if you can't afford that, just grab it, okay? And uh, and we found that, you know, some people kick in 10, some people pick in five, some people aren't able to play anything, and it all works out. And I said last Sunday that I will pay the difference. Well, typical PFB fashion, you wiped us out, and I said, okay, how much do I owe? And they said, not a dime, because that's just the way you guys are. And so be sure to pick this up at the Resource Center. There's also uh, one for your family In DVD or if you've already read this, Fields of Gold by Andy Stanley. And so really, I want everybody in our church to have read this. And then if you've already read this, to read this. And it'll just absolutely change your life. It is just a life-changing book. It changed my life. And this one little illustration, it's kind of a dinky illustration, But I just, this time, as I was reading through it another time, uh, for uh, the second time that I've read it, it just jumped out at me. It's called Treasure Principle Key Number Three, Heaven, Not Earth, Is My Home. The Bible says we're pilgrims, strangers, aliens on earth. We're ambassadors representing our true country. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're citizens of a better country, a heavenly one. Where we choose to store our treasures depends largely on where we think our home is. Suppose your home is in France. And you're visiting America for three months living in a hotel. You're told that you can't bring anything back to France on your flight home. But you can earn money in mail deposits to your bank in France. Would you fill your hotel room with expensive furniture and wall hangings? Of course not. You're going to send your money where your home is. You would spend only what you needed on the temporary residence, sending your treasures ahead so they'd be waiting for you when you got home. And so on a business trip, you're not going to pile all kinds of money for wall hangings, you know, and fancy furniture in your hotel room. No, you're going to earn money on that business trip and send it home. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He says in Matthew 6, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also your heart will follow where your treasure is now. Forgive me, because I've talked about this before, but I get so excited about this. One of the thousand reasons, there's a thousand reasons to follow Jesus, but here's one that as I get older, I'm particularly excited about, is that Christ offers us what I call a theology of aging. See, why is it that our culture gets so depressed about getting old? I mean, every other commercial is about staving off aging in some way, isn't it? I mean, it's all about how to keep living like you're young, even though you're getting old. It's particularly happening because my generation, the baby boomer generation, is this huge group that's just pouring into old age. And the oldest of us are, what, in our late 60s, and then the youngest of us baby boomers are in our early 50s. And we are just pouring into old age. And so everybody's uptight about this because our culture worships youth. Now, what are the, I, I thought about this, and you can give me your input as to other things. These are just the things I picked up. What are the three things that our culture honors more than anything else? Well, well, beauty, you know, um, uh, you know good looks, uh, along with that athletic ability, uh, included with that is good health, and then money. Those are the three things that we honor the most. Now, can you see why people outside of Jesus get so depressed about getting old? Is because every day you're walking away from your best days. There's, You're just walking away from your peak. I mean, my best 1,500 meters time and track was when I was 20 years old. And I guarantee, I tell you, it has been all downhill ever since. Uh, my best hair day was about... There was this one day in my, when I was 20 years old. I had that one good hair day. And it's all downhill. And so it's all harder to look good as the years go by. It's all harder to be in as good a health and to perform athletically. And you say, well, what about money? You do tend to accumulate as you go on. Yeah, but you're going to leave it all behind. So every day that goes by, you are one day closer to leaving anything you've accumulated behind because there are no U-Hauls behind hearses. So can you see why? Uh, outside of Jesus, it's so depressing to get old, because every day I creak more. Every day I'm slower. Every day I'm heavier. Every day I'm balder. You know, every day it just kind of goes on and on. And uh, that's why I love Kimberly, because she is like blind, basically, you know. She says, oh, Glenn, you are way better looking than you were when you were young. And actually, it was, it's kind of true, because what you say, what did you look like back then? Then, you know. So it is. But we're all leaving all that stuff down. Let me tell you an incredibly depressing thing that happened to me on Friday. I, I, where I work out, a bunch of people from our church, you know, you know, work out where I work out. And uh, I, I ran into a new one that I didn't know work out. The Chris Wiggenhorn, I think she goes here the 945 service. And she is just the sweet, one of the sweetest ladies in our church. And she's just this tiny little petite thing. And, and I followed her on a weight machine. And we were lifting the identical same weight. And I went home, and I said, Kimberly, the most depressing thing happened to me. Chris Wiggenhorn, she's lifting what I'm lifting. She goes, come on, you haven't changed your weights in 20 years. You just, you know, you don't, you don't do anything. And, 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 so, and so we're just all moving with that behind. Now, uh, compare that to what are the greatest values in following after Christ. I came up with three. You could come up with 300, I'm sure. But one is character. We want to become more like Jesus as the years go by. And you know What? I find it easier to be more like Jesus as the years go by. I find that life kind of rubs off the rough edges. And and I actually find it easier to live a godly life in my 50s than I did in my 20s. What's another thing we value in Christ? Well, the ability to serve God and serve other people. I would include with that sharing Jesus with other people. And I find that I'm more skilled It's serving other people and and helping them in their point of need as the years go on than I was earlier. I'm more, you know, able, bolder in sharing Jesus with other people. I remember when I was a young pastor, there was this farmer in our congregation named Dick Haynes. And he was so bold in sharing Jesus. And I used to say to him, man, I'm so jealous of you because I'm such a chicken and and you're so bold. He says, Glenn, it's amazing. The older you get, the bolder you get. And, And I found that to be true. And then, well, how about generosity, living a generous life? Yeah, I find that 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 becomes more natural as time goes on. And along with that, you know what happens along with it? Is that you're moving towards your treasure that you send ahead of you to heaven. So do you see why in Christ, aging is not something to be dreaded. It is something to receive with joy. Every day in Christ, I'm moving, you know, more, more, I'm becoming more like Christ. I'm becoming more generous. I'm becoming better at serving God and other people. And I'm moving more towards my treasure with each step that I go through life. Does anybody want to say amen to that? And it makes all the difference. And it's one of the huge advantages to following Jesus is aging is not something to dread. It is something to um, embrace. Um, Next page of your study outline, uh, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That is, not that money's bad. He's just saying you can't have two number one priorities uh, at the same time. And then number three, move the location. Did you know that Jesus taught that ownership is possible? Do you know that Jesus taught that you should hoard wealth you know that taught, He taught that. He taught us to be greedy. But, but he just said this, you just can't accumulate it. You just can't hoard it. You just can't own it here. But you can do so on the other side of the grave. He says in verse 20, but store up for yourselves. Look at that. Jesus is saying, be ambitious. Store up all that you can. Get rich but store for yourselves treasures in heaven. Just simply move the location where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, at this point, I would show one of my favorite video clips, but our media guy, Peter Wilson, won't let me show the same clips over and over again. If it were up to me, I'd have my four favorite clips. We'd watch them once a month. That's that's what we would do if it were up to me. But he says, Glenn, you've just used this one too many times. But so I'll just describe it to you. That's what I'll do. I think show it to you. Uh, uh, it's that famous scene. It's like I think it's the favorite clip of every pastor in America where William Wallace and Braveheart is speaking to the troops, the Scottish troops, before they fight the English. And there's, this, and there's this great line where the, the troops say, look, we don't want to go get killed. We don't want to get wounded. And he says, okay, I, I get that. But then he has that famous line, but lying in your beds many years from now on your deathbed, laying on your deathbed many years from now as an old man, okay, would you trade all the days between that day and this day to come back to this moment and stand up for freedom and stand up for your, for your principles? And I think the same thing. When we're on our deathbed, all of the value system changes. Um, one moment in heaven, I mean, the moment we step from this life to the next, instantly all the value system completely goes upside down. It completely changes. And would we trade every day from that day to this day to go back to this day and begin storing up treasures in heaven? He says, move, move the low, move the location, location of that. Um, this is really a sick story, but that never stops me from telling it. Uh, um, the grandpa's on his deathbed, and he's lived a long, good life, but he's on his deathbed there. And all of a sudden, he smells from the kitchen. Grandma is, is making his favorite dish, which is apple strudel. And he calls one of his grandchildren to him. He says, tell grandma, I just want one slice of her apple strudel before I die. And so the grandchild goes in the kitchen, comes back. He goes, I'm so sorry, grandpa, but grandma says, we're saving this for the luncheon after the funeral. And so you, you can't have it. That's like messed up, right? I mean, <laughs> that, that's mixed up priorities. And, and, and that's what he's saying do it now, not later on. By the way, this has nothing to do with the message, but just a little bit of a side note. You know, I, whenever I do funerals here, and uh, Uh, People share the most wonderful things, and you just sit there, and I just, oh, my goodness, I just love to hear what people say about uh, people at their funeral. But I always think to myself, I hope they said that stuff to them during their lifetime, face-to-face. I hope they didn't save the apple strudel till the luncheon after the funeral, you know? And so let me just ask you, I mean, say nice things at people's funeral, but make sure that we take the opportunity to say it to each other now, not just saving it uh, till the luncheon. After the funeral is over, say it now. And then, number four, stop worrying because it's his plan. If we follow his plan, it's up to him how it turns out. If we follow our plan, better lay awake at night worrying because you're responsible for how your plan turns out. But if you do his plan, now it's up to him how it all turns out in the end. It's kind of like this story I've told before, but I love this story about the, the guy that is talking to his friend. And he says to his friend, oh, man, the greatest thing happened. He said, uh, I hired this guy to handle all my worries in my life, all my business concerns, all my financial worries. He just handles all that stuff. And his friend goes, that's fantastic. What do you got to pay a guy like that? He goes, Oh, 100 grand a year. He goes, 100,000 a year? Where are you going to find the money to pay him that? And the guy goes, well, that's his worry now. That, 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 that's his problem. I don't have to worry about that. And, and that's the way it is. When it's God's strategy, it's his plan Now, it's his worry, how it turns out. Jesus said in verse 25, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Uh, Skipping down to verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you as well. You, You do his plan, you take the step of faith to do it his way, and all the other things fall into place. And then it expresses gratitude. It says in Colossians 2, seven, Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, we say we're thankful, but isn't it interesting how our culture is such a complaining culture? I said this last Sunday. We're the richest group of people that have ever lived in human history on planet Earth, and yet we complain about everything. I mean, if, if our meal... Comes up late or, uh, with the waiter or the waitress if it 's not just quite right if it 's not the right temperature oh man we 're upset if um, if we um, 're in the store and we 're buying an item that ninety percent of the world couldn 't afford to buy and from a store that has more diversity of goods than in, in any other store they could imagine in other parts of the world but boy if that if that sales clerk takes a minute too long to get that thing to us, we are so uptight. And so we need to plead guilty that we are not as grateful as we should be. And it's a challenge in our culture. Did you know that if you earned $1,500 a year, and you heard me right, okay, $1,500, $1,500 a year, and my guess would be everybody in here earns that. I mean, a high schooler making minimum wage can can earn that. A college student working their way through college can can earn that. If you earn $1,500 a year, you and I are wealthier than 75% of the world's population. You're in the upper 25th percentile if you even make $1,500 a year. And then we accept grace. It's all God's. And number three, we thank everyone. And I know this seems a little bit corny, but... um, Uh, Whenever I sit down to write a check to something, and Kimberly pays the online stuff, and I do the ones that require a check, but whenever I write a check or whenever we do it automatically online or whatever, I always see that as a thank you note. To the person I'm writing, whenever I can think of it, I think of it that way. And I know this seems corny, but like when, when I write my, um you know, my my tax bill, uh, you know, my quarterly payment, you know, pastors are considered self-employed, so once a quarter you got to write that big check. And and I know there's debate between taxation and the waste in government. I, you know, I get all that. My daughter, Abby, works for a fiscal hawk on Capitol Hill, and so whenever she comes home, she's ripping on how wasteful the government is and everything like that. But I think even Abby would agree that there are certain things the government does that we can't do. I, I would be lousy at building an F-16 in my backyard. It's just like, And I'm a man, so I wouldn't even follow the instructions. I just, oh, I get a feel for it. You know, kind of figure it out as I go. I mean, if we had a church work day to build an aircraft carrier in the north parking lot, that wouldn't work out well. Uh, roads and, and and schools and all these other things. And so when I write that check, it's a thank you note. I'm like, God, thank you that my local, my state, my federal government does these things that I can't do for myself. And when you, when you pay at the grocery store, you swipe your credit card or your debit card. Thank you. I write a, It's a thank you note to Stater Brothers for all the variety. I mean, I, I couldn't, you know, you go to the cereal aisle, and there's 50 different brands of cereal. I mean, I couldn't pick the Captain Crunch Berries to put into the box, you know. Actually, that's an out-of-date illustration because my days of Captain Crunch are long gone. Now it's Grape Nuts is all that I, you know. When you're five, it's Captain Crunch. When you're five, oh, it's Grape Nuts from then on. And, uh, but I couldn't go to the Grape Nut tree and pick the Grape Nuts and stick them into the box, you know. Um, A gas company, I mean, isn't it a miracle? We're going to go home this afternoon. It's going to be cold and we're just going to hit the thermostat and we're going to be warm in a half an hour, an hour. So you write a thank you note to the gas company. Edison, isn't it a miracle you hit the lights when you walk in your house, electricity comes on. So you thank you thank Edison. Um, the other night we came home and uh, the lights were out on just about five houses, just on our side of the block, they're all out. And so we get the candles and the um, the fireplace get going and everything like that. And about an hour later, we heard the, them working in our back alley up on the lift and the Edison guys were, were fixing it. And about an hour later, boom, lights come back on. I said to my daughter, Rebecca, hey, let's go over and thank the guys." So we go over and we walk up to the foreman and you could see him getting like, oh, shoot, here's another neighbor going to rip into me. You know? And I said, hey, my daughter and I just wanted to thank you so much for fixing our electricity. We, I was just saying to my daughter, you guys could be home having dinner right now, but instead you're out here thanking us. Thank you very, very much. So, so we, thank, we thank Edison for the lecture, and, and then we thank God um, when we give or when we go to the giving kiosk or online or whether we do it here in the offering. Uh, we, we thank everyone. We have a heart of, over, of gratitude. And then the last part of that plan is that it reduces stress. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord. Uh, this is one of the favorite verses, the most practical verses in all the Christian life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. And if you do that, he'll make your path straight. Now, we have found that to be true in like so many areas of the Christian life. But it's always amazing to me how Christians will find this verse, this biblical principle to be true in so many other areas. But they won't apply it in the area of their finances. And so in essence, we're saying this verse this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart except for your finances. And lean not on your own understanding, your own brain power, what seems logical to you, except in your finances. In all your ways, submit to him, except in your finances. And he'll make your path straight, and he does it in every other area of life, except in the area of our finances. And so so God's saying, you know what? Take the step. Trust me. Skipping to that line at the end of your study outline. Remember, God won't give you support until you lean on him. He doesn't give you support in the he gives you support in the areas where you lean on him. He doesn't give you support in the areas where you don't lean on him. And so remember, God won't give you support until you he, he you hear what he says that you're supposed to do. And then by faith, you take that step to do the thing he told you to do. And that's where the fun and the adventure and the blessing comes in the Christian life. Take the first step. Remember, God won't give you support until you lean on him. Now, now what is that? What, what is that step? That's why I want everybody to read The Treasure Principle. Just take an hour. Boom. Quick read. If you've already read this one, do fields of gold. I made such a big deal about this last Sunday that we you, w- w- wiped us out. We ran out of all these and so people were like, they were like, well, I can't read this one before I read this one. Glenn said, no, you know, no, no, it's okay. If we run out again, you can read this one first. But in general, start with this one. You finish this one, read this one. But especially, I want everybody in the church to have read this. It'll take you one hour, quick read, very exciting. And it'll show you how to get adventure back into your Christian life. It'll, it'll put the spark back in your Christian life um, uh, once again. It's also available in DVD. And uh, you can do Kindle downloads as well. So this is interesting. Fields of Gold, this is free Kindle download out at the Resource Center in the lobby. And um, this one is is more for the Kindle download. But this is a free uh, Kindle download if you want to do that. Now, as we close, I just want to give you a perfect example of the generous life that we've been talking about. If you look there in your PFB Weekly on page 2, you'll see that Wendy Bernhardt is retiring after 30 years in the Congo. How cool is that? She's been been one of the leaders um, in fighting uh, AIDS prevention, biblical approach to AIDS prevention. She's taught in a seminary there. She's been on radio there, and she's retiring after 30 years. I always say that our heroes define us as a church. It tells what we're about by who we honor. So could we give a standing ovation to Wendy Bernhard as she finishes 30 years in the Congo serving Jesus there.
1: Good morning. We can, we can remain standing.
0: Just reading and Just would you say a word to us and then do a benediction in Congolese. Okay. Okay. okay very good.
1: I'm just here this morning to say thank you for your partnership with me in ministry during the 30 years that I've been in the Congo. The Lord enabled me to teach in a Bible institute and in seminaries, preparing leaders for the 21st century. Please continue praying for these leaders in the Congo, that the Lord will instruct them and, and, and mobilize them for the many challenges that will face them. Pray for the young people in the Congo. We have held True Love Waits seminars encouraging the young people to use their sexuality responsibly as God intended it. Thank you for your support of my ministries, and please continue supporting missionaries throughout the world because God's word is going forth.
0: Wonderful. Very, very good. Go give it to us.
1: Here it comes ye kintuadiki ampeve yanlongo byakala yeno buwabu ye muntangu ika imani. Amen.
0: Amen. Good, good. God bless you guys. Good, good. good. Thank you so much. Thank you, Shalom. Good, good.